Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitch. Yes, I'm a composer. Yes, I'm here every week. But each week I'm joined by a guest composer of my own selection. And we'll spend most of the next hour talking with them with a pretty frequent interruption by me. This week I'm super excited because I'm joined by the amazing, the talented, the friend to all, Alex Shapiro. Alex, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. This is going to be fun, folks. We promise. Or you get your money back. Wait a minute. I'm not sure how much you're paying for this. <laughs> <laughs> you get what you pay for, for sure. Really? Um, with this show, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely value here. Uh, it's what you put into We're just it. trying so, to figure out what that value is, folks. But stay tuned. Maybe you'll discover it. <laughs> exactly right. And if nothing else, I think Alex and I will have a good time. That's right. And that really, isn't that all that matters? We're just doing this for us. You know? <laughs> it really is all about me. As long as I feel like I've had a good hour, then I'm uh, the, the listeners are really to, inconsequential. We're happy to waste everybody else's time, as long as we're having fun. <laughs> Completely. So, um, Alex, uh, I was thinking about it this week. I think you and I met each other maybe like 10 years ago, 2010, 2011, something like that. At the Midwest Clinic. Right? At the Midwest really? Clinic. And um, yeah. I, I got connected to you. I got turned on to your music by Jerry Lucart who was one of my teachers, um, I won't tell you how many years ago, and I was just starting to get interested in electroacoustic writing. I hadn't done any of it, and I was talking with him about it, and he's like, I know exactly who you need to talk to. You need to talk to Alex Shapiro. We just played a great piece of hers. I think I think it was Immersion. It was Immersion, yeah. Um, which is brilliant. If you don't know that piece, Thank Immersion you. is brilliant. Um, and you were so kind. You were so generous. I sent you an email, you know, just a, just a stranger in your inbox, and... Um, and we were both headed to Chicago for Midwest, and you, we sat, we talked for a good hour, and and uh, you you pointed me in a lot of good directions. Oh, and, good. Um, <laughs> I'd hate to hear. And from there, my life became a shambles after I listened to what she told me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I appreciated it so much. You uh you gave me a lot of really good advice, and um and now fifteen years later, however long, like I uh, I hardly don't write great. anything acoustic anymore. <laughs> Almost everything that I do. Um, is electroacoustic these days. Uh -huh. So um, you've joined the cult. I have, I have. I've gone over <laughs> to the dark side in more ways than one. So um, anyway, for people that don't know your music, I can't imagine that there are that many out there. But if if we have listeners that aren't familiar with your music, give us the like the the ten or fifteen second you know cliff notes about you know kind of what what sort of things you're you're into. Okay, um, I guess the overall bumper sticker comment might be I get paid to mess with people. Because I really do think that because uh, I a number of my pieces uh, involve, you know, various forms of multimedia. And as Jason just wonderfully said, uh, like him, I'm uh, I'm on the dark side of life and I love to play with electroacoustic pieces. Not all of them are electroacoustic, but a number of them are. My catalog is, um, well, most recently, I'm probably best known, especially by people listening to this podcast, perhaps, uh, for about 25 band pieces that I have, all but three of which are electroacoustic. Um, but I, it's interesting. My last one is acoustic, fully acoustic. And uh, and that was fun to do, too. 
but uh, I also have quite a number of chamber music pieces in my uh, in my catalog. And I started doing that actually for uh, a long time before uh, it was until my mid 40s that I was unexpectedly introduced to the band world and never looked back. So in addition to doing chamber music commissions, a lot of my commissions now are for band. And I love it. I'm such a band geek. I adore band. So I love that wall of sound. And then I make the wall even bigger, as do you, you know, with adding the audio element to it, because with audio, you can do anything. And for those of you who haven't explored electroacoustic stuff, think of it this way, whether you're writing it or conducting it and working on it with, with students or other band members or professional bands, um, the, the way I view the track is it's an additional and equal section of the ensemble. And when you think of it as an equal, that it's, it is creating sounds that we cannot get from the instrumentalists, or shouldn't, at least under the best of circumstances, unless right. they're really unhappy. Uh, so <laughs> they should not be making those sounds. If they are, there's a problem. Correct. Correct. <laughs> there's therapy is going to be needed. But, um, but, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the track is so much fun because... Uh, you can do anything. And there really are no rules anymore in general when it comes to music. And uh, thank goodness for that. We Things wouldn't follow them anyway, even if they yeah, were We wouldn't were follow rules, them. Exactly. Which is, which is why I couldn't have gotten arrested in the concert music world 40 years ago, which is why I started in commercial music, because I literally could not have been arrested. Because back then, in the 1980s, when I was starting my career, uh, the world was just so stupidly different. You know, there were all these... Um, uh, cordoned off compartmentalized genres and never they should meet and never they should cross over and it's it was just silly and fortunately largely because of tech and computers and the world broadening I mean really it started with cable tv and everything else um, with all of that all of a sudden you know our lives have been changed for the better because everybody hears everything all the time and young people coming up don't don't necessarily put things in boxes and and uh, descriptive genres they don't have to it, music is music is music so yeah. so yeah that's the fun that's the thumbnail sketch is that's what i do and before that i was doing 15 years of commercial music until the world changed and i realized i could actually <laughs> not only write concert music but have it be performed what a concept right so, live yeah. music how fantastic yeah. well yeah well as a as a recovering band director myself <laughs> Um, I, I've programmed a number of your pieces over the years. Um, I never got to do paper cut, which is a disappointment of mine. I'll just have to live with that. But, um, but tight squeeze was a favorite of mine. I did it several times and it was always, it was always good fun. And, um, when I was teaching in Colorado, we were part of your commissioning group, your consortium group that did, um, moment. That's right. Really great piece. And so I appreciated, uh, uh, being able to, to take part in that. Well, so, all right, let's go, let's go way on back. Not that way on back. Um, <laughs> I'm so old, there's a lot of way on back to go, let me tell you. <laughs> when dinosaurs roamed the earth, folks. Yeah, my backstory is starting to get pretty long, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more sensitive about it now than I used to be. But it's better um, than the opposite, right? Isn't it good to keep having a longer backstory? Because when your backstory ends, I mean, if it's short, that's it. You know, the ride's over, folks. That's so, true. That's I, very I profound. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking to have a long backstory. I'm hoping we're doing a podcast 40 years from now. And I'm so ancient, you know, I won't be able to remember my backstory. Actually, that's all you remember when you're older, right? You don't remember what, the what backstory. Just happened two seconds ago, but yeah. you remember your backstory. There's a great country song in this conversation somewhere <laughs> there is that somewhere. somebody's going to write. So, um, all right, looking back, 
um, how how did you get involved in music in the first place? Like growing up, what was your first like uh, like entry point into into music at all? I was one of the very, very lucky kiddos who grew up with two parents who really loved music. I'm an only child of two parents who um, uh, we grew up. I grew up in Manhattan in an apartment. Uh, and boy, was I lucky because they blasted music on the KLH floor <laughs> speakers all the time. Now, it was only it was limited, a big limit. I mean, a, a big swath, but it was limited to Western European music between, you know, Bach and Bartok. That was kind of it. But mm. within that realm, there's a heck of a lot. And and um, it was incredible. And because I just naturally loved music and grew up you know, falling asleep to Mahler's symphonies blasting in the next room, um, <laughs> which it was awesome. Um, that could explain a lot of the therapy sessions. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I was always so curious about music and I loved it uh, that I sought it out on my own. And growing up in New York City was an amazing advantage because Manhattan, man, it has everything. There sure. is nothing that's not going on there. And back you know, when I was coming of age in the 70s, uh, so I'm 61 now. So let's say in 1977, I was 15, you know, just to put okay. it in context. All right. And you had everything. I, I love to talk about how New York was this melting pot of all kinds of, of music and art and dance and everything else, theater. And you, you had disco and punk rock at the same time, you know, <laughs> and I was into both scenes. And you had, you know, all the opera and all the ballets and the modern ballet and the jazz clubs and the dance clubs. And it was it was great. And I, I went to everything. I, I often tell the story, if some of you have heard me speak, who are listening um, have are sitting through this again and have heard me speak before. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, I, I grew up um, babysitting, you know, when I was a teenager, when I was starting like at 13, I'd babysit for other kids in the building. And I think I made it a buck 25 an hour or something like that. Mm. And, and that big was money in those days, big right? Money. I'd end up with, you know, four or $5 at the end of the night. That was a lot of money in 1976, 77, whatever. And I would save up my babysitting money. And I was able to go, let's say, to the Metropolitan Opera. At the time, a standing room ticket was three bucks. And I would inevitably, <laughs> because I was, of course, by myself, because what other, you know, 15-year-old wants to go to the opera, right? Like, sure, nobody. Yeah. Um, and that's not true. I had one, my boyfriend at the time, a wonderful composer, um, uh, uh, is just great. And once in a while, he would he would join me. But most of the time, I was going by myself. And um and he, I would get down there and I would inevitably get an orchestra seat because, of course, you're standing there on the rail and you can spot out the empty seats. And right. especially if it's a modern opera, my God, you know, there's going to be a lot of empty seats, unfortunately. So I always dressed, I dressed above my pay grade, so to speak, so that because I knew sure. I'd always end up in a nice seat. And uh, and I went to pretty much every opera. I did Carnegie Hall like that. I did many, many venues like that. And then the ones that um, didn't have standing room, like the Village Vanguard or the Blue Note or places like that, right. it was so affordable back in the day. For those $5, I could go to a set. Maybe I'd have to order a $3 beer. And at the time, they didn't card. They didn't care. If so, right, just right. cool, you just they don't care that you're 13 years old or whatever. I was like, man, I got to hear Elvin Jones. You know, this is it. I'm there, right? Yep. And and so, and I was lucky that my parents uh, were, I don't know if they cared if I came home or not, but they certainly allowed me the freedom to just explore the city and and set my own curfew. I mean, literally, I had this great upbringing that at the time I thought everybody had. Uh, I later found out it's not the case that, you know, to be, let's say, 15, 16 years old on a Wednesday night, 
and you know michael brecker or somebody's playing down at at, at one of the clubs and and right. i want to go hear it and and i would just say to my father i'd say okay i'm going to go down vanguard or whatever the club would be at the time sweet basils whoever you know all the great clubs at, at in the 70s and i'm going to go down i'm going to i want to stay for the second set and he would just look at me and he'd say okay uh, what time will you be back and that is the moment i learned the art of back timing which yeah, is right. something that every composer needs to know when you're dealing with commissions and everything sure. else, right? Back timing. Yeah. And and I would back time it and I'd realize I, I lived uptown, so I would realize how long that long subway ride down to the village would take and back, et cetera, and how many stops the train was going to make. And I would say, and I would look at him and I'd say, okay, 1 a.m. I will be back by 1 a.m. And that gate would give me time. And he would just look at me and he'd say, okay, be back by 1 a.m. And I would be. And in fact, the only once was I did I roll in at like one twenty or something, and he was up and he was he was in, he was pissed for right rightly so because huh. he, it was so great. As I recommend this form of parenting if you have a smart child, that um, the child wants to rise to the occasion and prove you right. When you give them responsibility, if they're a good kid to begin with, and I was a good kid, and my father recognized that. You know, if you're if they're a good kid, they want to please you and they want to do the right thing. And they also want to keep their freedom that you're giving them. It's a give take. So basically, if you prove them right, you get to go out again and, and do this. Sure. So that was sort of the vibe for me growing up. And it wasn't until much later that I realized most kids don't go to high school and club and do all those things at the same time, you know, <laughs> till all hours of the night. And then I, I had a very long subway ride every day up to um up, up to my high school, very long, uh, the end of the line on the number one, the 242nd Street up in the Bronx. And so <laughs> for coming down from 86th Street, and that's after taking a crosstown bus, it was a really long commute. Wow. And of yeah. course, that's where you do your homework on the subway. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that I had this amazing, so that you, the, the question, of course, was, you know, what turned you on to music? And how did you get me how did music become such a big part of your life and it was that golden combination of growing up in a household that valued music so much and then having so much curiosity about it myself that i sought it out every chance that i could and i happened to be in the right place at the right time to do that how fantastic what a great what a great time and place to be and and have access to all of that and just to be able to experience it Um, yeah fantastic so at what point did you start uh, making music? Did you start playing an instrument? Did you sing? Did you did you perform at all? I started no. Well, I mean, all, just a little bit choir choir singing and recorder class and all that. But I actually started writing before I started playing an instrument. I that's why I asked my parents for piano lessons after I started plunking out melodies and things on the piano when I was about nine, ten, and I said, "Can I can I have piano lessons?" And um, and they said, are you going to practice? I said, yep, I promise I'm going to practice <laughs> because I realized I didn't want to be a performing artist. I, I just yeah. never wanted to do that. But I quickly realized how valuable it would be to be able to get my hands around an instrument. And as a composer, of course, piano is a really good instrument because you can see all the notes woo-hoo, sure, and yeah, play many absolutely. of them at the same time right. uh, without having to overblow and annoy your upstairs neighbors. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you so yeah. Yeah, I got I got I took piano lessons for a very long time. And actually, I had a wonderful uh, teacher, really great recitalist in New York. And I became a, a pretty good pianist. I was playing a lot of concerti and all of that, but never performing. Um, it was hmm. just a skill that I that yeah. I loved. But I, I always um, was a composer. And I started my first uh, uh, real composition lessons were when I was 15 at uh, the summer session at Manus College of Music in New York with a wonderful guy, Leo Edwards. 
And he was, mm. you know, we talk about how important teachers are. Sure. And often people, usually teachers, but really anybody in one's life, can say something just off the cuff that they don't think much of one way or the other, maybe a little bit of encouragement, but it can mean the world to the student. And I always remember, I am, all these years later, I was 15 and now I'm 61 and I can still remember <laughs> when Leo Edwards said, Alex, you have the gift of melody. Now that's a simple thing. And I'm sure it was just a little brush off comment, but to me, that kept me going. It was sure. like, it was like getting the encouragement of, oh, I should keep doing this, you know, cause I loved it. I loved right. doing it. Yeah, so, right. Um, so that was when I first started uh, pursuing it. And then, of course, every summer I would pursue, you know, music. I, I went to the Aspen Music Festival a couple of times. I was their youngest composer. And then I went to Juilliard pre-college as a composer. And then I went to Manhattan School of Music. And wow. then I fled New York. And then I came <laughs> out once, got a gig writing commercial stuff. And that was that. <laughs> and you were gone. Yeah. How wonderful. Do you remember, do you have to remember like the first, I mean, do you have a, a sense of, what your first piece really was something that you like feel like I'm not just messing around and writing things like I really like finished something and wrote something. Yeah. And it was probably that piece I was working on when I was 15. I mean, I had been writing all along. I had t taught myself guitar and I, I wrote and still do actually a lot of pop songs. I, I don't think I've ever been a gifted pop music writer, but I love rock and I love, you know, alt rock and pop and all that. Uh, so I was probably as a, as a kid, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, writing a lot of pop songs. But the first piece that I remember was a trio of all things. It was just, I guess, you know, he had asked me um, to, Leo had asked me to write a trio for violin, viola, and cello, probably for orchestration reasons, right? Yeah, he, yeah, let's yeah. Learn, let's learn the string family, shall we? Yeah. And I wrote this trio, um, which had a very exciting title. I believe it was called Trio. And I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't figured out the titling thing yet. Uh, but that piece was my, the first one that was like a real piece. I actually still have it on vellum. I kid you not. That's that's how old I am, folks. Wow. It's, it was, it's on vellum with the little press, let, letter press uh, letters on for the title. Sure. Uh, disintegrating somewhere, you know, in, in a box, <laughs> in a bin somewhere. Right. In, in my storage. Um but that also led to um, really the first the first experience that I had, where I felt like I could be a real composer is that very piece. I went to Aspen later that that next summer, and I had finished that piece. It's a short piece, but I took that piece and it got performed. Uh, by three terrific musicians on the local Aspen radio station. They they had a gig playing there and they played live. And I remember the thrill of hearing my little trio sure. played live at age 16 by these wonderful musicians. I believe one of them was Paul Neubauer, the terrific violist. Wow. Um, I forget the other two, forgive me. But I remember one of them, I think was Paul. Um, he was I young mean, that's, too. That's we not a bad debut kids. debut piece right there. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were, we were I wrote him his debut piece. Um, <laughs> right? I doubt he remembers it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember how lucky I was to have these wonderful musicians. And it was such a thrill to kind of hear my music over the air and think, oh my gosh, this is, this is very cool. And so that's a little intoxicating, you know, it gives you that sense of validation that, wow, oh, other people are listening to this. Right. And, yeah. Wow. How wonderful. What well, about so you? Do you remember me? your first, uh, oh, your gosh. first big moment? Um, no, I mean, yes, I, I, I do. I, um, I, I remember there was not really, when I was an undergrad, it was not really a functional composition department. 
at my school. There had been, but there had been a gentleman, he'd, he'd passed away and they hadn't really replaced him. So I, I, I had talked all my friends into letting me write them something. You know, I've got a friend who's a trumpet player. Let me write you a piece and do it on a recital right. hour or whatever. You know, or I'd, I'd, I'd write something and play it on a recital hour. And I'd, I'd do my, went to do my senior recital and I, I wrote about half of it and, and played about half of it. You know, so it was, it was a little bit of a make your own opportunity, you know, kind of, um, kind of a situation. But I was lucky I had a good, I had a good friend support group that was really supportive of it and was willing to go and play things and willing to play things for me and let me hear it and go, oh, that doesn't sound very good. I should throw that away and start again, you know, and, um, and my ensemble teachers as well, they were very helpful in, um, you know, showing me things about orchestration and, and looking at different, uh, looking at different pieces and different composers and, and talking about, you know, some of, some of that part of it, something that I, I couldn't get, you know, any, any other place or any other way. So, yeah, probably my first big piece was that I, I, I decided that I wanted to write a piece for as many people as I could talk into playing on my senior recital. So I wrote That's this huge great. brass choir with, I don't know, about 12 percussion parts. and, and <laughs> Something was, very practical. Yeah, oh, very practical. <laughs> Something I, that's I, destined to be performed every week somewhere. I wrote it and I thought, this one's going to get performed every, every concert. Um <laughs> And it was so, it was such a big setup. I had to do my, my recital, my solo recital in the big concert hall, um, which to me seemed like a great idea until I have to go and play, you know, all my solo pieces on this huge stage alone. And then I thought, well, this was a really terrible idea, wasn't it? What am I, what am I thinking about? Um, but, but how ambitious of you. I mean, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and probably the first piece that, was performed by someone I didn't know. I'd written a brass choir, little fanfare, and the the Chicago brass choir um, did a call for scores or something. I had sent it to them, and and they sent me a nice note. They said, "Hey, we really like this. We're going to do it on our on a concert wow. this fall." And that was the first time when I was sort of like, "Oh, somebody I don't know will also." look at something I'm doing and, and like it and want to perform it. And that was, that was probably the time where I was like, I, maybe I, maybe I should, should spend a little more energy on this. Maybe this is really something. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How, how amazing. Well, um, other than that first performance, which obviously great, big formative moment, what would you say? Has there been another like really, you know, big impactful, meaningful performance or piece or something that that you know was just kind of another sort of touchstone moment there i've been so lucky there have been a lot of those um you know you mentioned i mean earlier on let's say even with the 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 band music at the beginning uh, i think the second band piece third band piece i wrote was immersion um which is my first symphony for winds and it's a three movement piece and um, that which Jerry Lucart was the lead commissioner on, and he gathered uh, six or seven other schools and band directors to be part of. And um, I think for me, hearing that large scale work, you know, uh, and being at that premiere and experiencing that, plus they did gorgeous lighting, and it was mm -hmm. sort of that and paper cut, which are two wildly different pieces. Sure. Both happened pretty much the same year, and um, and both of them are very multimedia and very visual, yeah. and that really blew up my mind in terms of the possibilities of, right. of what it is for an audience to experience sound and how powerful it is for us to have visuals with sound. I mean, we all grow up with movies and TV and games right. and looking at screens all the time. And and so I, I think a lot about that. And then fast forward. So immersion was very powerful for me in that way. And, um, and it was also my first 
you know, really serious, more serious work for uh, very pensively serious in was some that, places. Was that intentional? Um, Were you like really yeah. trying to... Well, I mean, I guess I was writing what I was feeling, you know, was the seriousness intentional? Yeah, Yeah, I guess I it was it was my um, ode to the sea. And that's not always a happy thing, because the sea is suffering, and the creatures are suffering. Um, There's, there's beauty and lightness in it, too. But, um, but that's, there's, there's a lot of emotion in that piece. But even more emotional, believe it or not, to me, especially in some places is my second symphony, which is much more recent 2021, the um, National Intercollegiate Band uh, commissioned me for suspended, which is a four movement wind Mm -hmm. symphony. And the first movement is acoustic. And the other three movements are electroacoustic. And I was there in Grand Rapids uh, with Cynthia Johnston Turner conducting that. And that was very moving for a number of reasons. First of all, I wrote it during the pandemic, during the shutdown. I, I was really busy during the shutdown for any number of reasons. I was doing a lot of stuff online and I had an online curriculum for other composers and students and instrumentalists rather and students. Right. And um, and I also, none of my commissions canceled, interestingly. Uh, so I was a, quite a busy- Aren't music- you lucky? <laughs> I was very lucky. I was one of the busier people as a shut-in during quarantine. It's like, I'm really glad I'm not traveling. Otherwise, I don't know how I'd get all this work done. And But the biggest piece and the most significant one um, was suspended, which really addressed not only the pandemic, but all the societal systemic problems of which there are many. And it did so with some humor and lightness, but it also did, did does so with some heaviness. And the first two movements are very heavy in very different ways. The second movement, Distanced, is my absolute favorite right now. Um, it's a v- deeply pensive, mournful piece, but it, you know, but the, the, it's done, the whole piece, the whole four movements are done in the, uh, with the roadmap of an absolute classical symphony. And so that, you know, the, the the first movement is very much an exposition of a theme and its variations and turning the motives on end. The second movement is that lyrical break. The third movement is an absolute minuet and trio, just like Mozart would have written, just sounds a bit different. Ping pong balls are involved. <laughs> and the fourth movement is a seven part rondo. And I always remember, by the way, this was so cute when I was talking to the audience. Um, uh, we had a great audience in Grand Rapids, and I was speaking, introducing the piece from the lip of the stage. And as because I knew that most of the people in the audience, of course, were brought my brothers at Kappa Kappa Psi and Tau Beta Sigma, and you know other musicians coming from around the country for this thing. And, um, and this is what happens when you talk to your fellow geeks. I, I literally, <laughs> I was just describing this. I was saying, and the seventh, seventh move, uh, and the. Um, uh, last movement, the fourth movement, is a seven-part rondo. And I got the most unexpected response of everybody cheered. Everybody yeah. like, whoa! <laughs> it was yeah. hilarious. I loved that. That was such a great response. Like, whoa, seven-part rondo. Yes. Right. It was really funny. And I think the thing that was most significant, though, for those of us on stage and for the audience, is that it was July of twenty-one. And this was the first time for all of us that we had been together performing in person for like a year or a year and a half, you know, yeah, yeah. and that was, it was very, very important. I, it was the first time for many of the audience members that they had come to a concert and sat in an audience and, and listened to live music. Right. And it was definitely the first time for the majority of people in the band that they were playing with other people. And certainly for me, it's the first time I had heard any of my stuff live in a long time. And it was very moving. Um, and in fact, distanced. Um, it was it was particularly moving because distanced is a very solemn uh, movement, the second movement, 
And I, to be very honest with you, I cried when I wrote it. I wept when I wept when I wrote it, which I'm not afraid to admit. And I think maybe that's a sign that maybe you are on the right track. If it's making you cry, maybe it'll make somebody else be moved too. And in fact, after at rehearsal, Jason, when we ran through the first rehearsal of that movement, oh my gosh, I, Cindy had tears on her on her face. Many of the band members were weeping. We were all so emotional and it it was so striking. And I think we were emotional that the music was a catharsic, cathartic portal for the, the joy and the heaviness of what we had all just been through because we'd just been through this big communal experience of separation with that quarantine and the fears of watching people get very sick and dying. Um, and it, the whole thing was so emotional and this was a big cathartic release. It was that was a memorable when when you think about, you know, something that really sticks out as right. a big, memorable performance. It'll probably be that because yeah. the piece meant so much to me still does. I, I think it's one of the best things I've done. And the experience with the musicians was so magical. Mm. It made you really realize how important it is for us to be together. We're mammals. We vibrate with each other. We need to be together, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. Wow. How wonderful. What a great, what a great story. And, and you're right. That's, that's a, it's a fantastic piece. If you don't, if you're not familiar with it, you should definitely Thank look you. it up. Um, well, okay. How about this? Um, other than you and me, obviously, um, who's, who's a composer that's out there writing today. That's that, that you really like, you really like their work. You really respect. There are so many, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a punt and a pass on that because there are so many that I, like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. This is one of the most exciting things about. You just say all of them, all, all of, them of them are exciting. All of them. Plus I'm an advocate. I'm a pretty visible advocate for so many people. So I don't want to like st sound like I'm picking and choosing favorites or anything. Everybody gets um, a gold <laughs> sticker from Alex. What? What? Everybody gets a gold sticker from Alex. Everybody gets a gold sticker from Alex, exactly. As long as they're a nice person. As long as they're nice. Be friendly, folks. Don't be a jerk. That's our motto. Don't just don't be a jerk. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Speaking of speaking of jerks, do you have like any really amazing like musical rejection stories or anything like that? Yes. I, we all we all have them. Everybody They're not all amazing. Is. You're not but... a real artist if you have not been yeah. rejected multiple times, Absolutely often by yourself, not. starting with yourself. We reject yes. ourselves constantly. <laughs> self uh, self sabotage is a real thing. It's and, such a uh... real thing. It's every <laughs> single working composer I know, no matter how famous. Think of the most famous composer you can think of, folks. I guarantee you that person thinks they're a fraud when they're looking at the blank piece of paper. Everybody I know thinks, no matter how wildly successful and famous they are, they think they're a fraud. When And so that means we're all doing it right. We're all doing it right because we all have, you know, imposter syndrome and, and like, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to write this commission? You know, where is this ever going to come from? Every single time. And uh, but that's the norm. I think that's it. But yeah, I've got my rejection story. I might be I, I might win the award for youngest rejection story. Uh, I had, think I had mentioned earlier on that um, when you asked me if I was a performer, I said, well, I had recorder class in fourth grade. So I was like nine. Oh, 10. it's a recorder rejection. I it's can't a wait. Recorder this is going to be a great story. This is oh, because how many recorder rejections really are do you get? So I, I at the time, this was in like whatever. I'm trying to do the math. It would have been 1971 or 72, 
And at the time, PBS in New York City was airing a show called Masterpiece Theater with Alastair Cook sitting in the chair and being elegant and hosting it. I can't even remember what, what the show was about. I was young. But what I do remember very well was the theme music, which was the Baroque um It's a Bore or I should more Bore. I should look this up and know the name of the composer. But I did when I was 10, I knew the name because I looked it up. Anyway, I can hear it in my head. I, I, yeah, I, I can absolutely hear it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. It was, that show was on too. for a long, long time. Yeah, exactly. It's probably in reruns. You probably sure. see it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So I took it upon myself, Little Miss, you know, ears. Uh, <laughs> I decided I, I really, I was a good recorder player, soprano recorder. All, we had no alto recorders and it was all sopranos. Pretty screechy, I'm sure. And very out of tune, <laughs> but... <laughs> prepared That's... me for a life in band that I never knew it would would exist because my school did not have a band. So I went straight from recorder to, you know, string quartets. But um, I wrote a four-part recorder arrangement of that tune, uh, a whole page worth. So, you know, maybe 24 bars or something yeah. of that. And the next day I brought it in because I knew just enough to be dangerous with notation. You know, I knew how to kind of, I'm sure some of the note heads might have been backwards. I understand that. But it was, it was there. It was readable. And I brought this in to my music teacher, who was a very sweet lady, really nice. She was shorter than I was. She was really nice. <laughs> really, and that's saying a lot. I'm still not very tall. <laughs> so, so she was really short. And I remember looking down at, you know, I was probably looking at her. And, um, and I said, here, I wrote this for the class and the class can play this. And she took one look at the music and another look at me and another look at the music and another look at me and said, oh, Alex, I'm so sorry, but the, the, the students won't be able to play this. And she handed it back, back to me. And I was so crestfallen. And she didn't mean it in a mean way, but she totally right. rejected it. She just said, nope, yeah. not, it's not going to happen. You know, they can't play this. And she like wouldn't even give it a chance. And I was so sad. I was so crestfallen. But of course, what do you do? You get right back up on the horse again. I went home and I kept writing other things you know it yeah, didn't stop me it just sure. it just was a was a bump in the road and i think actually it's really great that that happened when i was so little because it just became the norm like oh i guess this happens people reject you you might yeah. work really hard on something and nobody wants it <laughs> wow right. i guess right. i'm destined to be a composer <laughs> sign me up for this <laughs> yes yeah this feels really good i want more of this <laughs> Yeah, I, I had to do a talk one time. I was a guest in a, at a concert and they said, we want you to talk a little bit. And they said, you know, the, the program notes will talk about your piece. Talk about what it's like to be a composer. And the first thing I said was, I said, I said well, you have to really be able to handle rejection well. And so in, in that way, going to high school was excellent training. It's so true. <laughs> You know, yeah, I, I was I was the totally rejected, picked last on the on the on the basketball team. You know, rejected weirdo kid, oh, and yeah. I think a lot of us were who end up in in this field, which is a very warm and fuzzy place for us because we were all the the unwanted and the rejects and the socially awkward right. still are. You know, whatever, and it's it feels really good to be with other people who had that same upbringing and that same experience of rejection as a kid. Yep, yep. I was never the cool kid ever. No, <laughs> nope. no. I can take a no. Lay it on me. <laughs> no oh, is our right. comfort place. Like, it absolutely is. Used I, to know. <laughs> honestly, I I feel like if somebody's like, "Man, this is going really well," I I I feel like I'm uncomfortable. I'm right, uncomfortable. You don't trust you, it. Like, can I get a little criticism? Could you uh, <laughs> could you put up a few more roadblocks? This is going far too smoothly. This isn't this isn't what I'm used to. 
Um, this makes me uncomfortable. Um, do you um, do you have anything like? Uh, have there been any like um, like acquisitions or purchases for your studio where you write that like when you got it, it completely like changed everything? Yep. All right. Now- I have a studio, as you can see, the audience can't see, the listening audience. I have a studio filled with all kinds of groovy toys. It's a very right. state-of-the-art digital project studio. Yeah, and you got like all a glowing fish things. or something back there in the back. I've got and... uh, that fish. Yeah, I thought it was an award. I, I won a, the, what's called the Local Hero Award from the film festival here in Friday Harbor a few years ago. Isn't that nice? And they gave me that big stainless steel um fish it's a, I love it's that. a salmon i call it a steelhead trout actually it's a steelhead because it's made out of steel but it's actually very pretty you can't see it and it's got a very nice plaque on it um and so that's what's going on back there that fish was it was an award um uh but yeah i believe it or not that i have two things i want to share with the audience i am not a paid sponsor for either of them because because right? we go out and, and we don't have things. any sponsors. We have no so. sponsors. We, you might make up a few. The show the has no sponsors, so we are not we are not benefiting in any way from our our storytelling. <laughs> not at all. And I, I'm not one of those Amazon affiliates or anything like that. But when I discover something that's life changing, I want everybody to know about it. And there are two things, both of which are at hand right now. Neither of which is musical but they make my musical life and my life much, much better. One of them I'm using right now, looking at you, Jason, it's, I have a very big screen in front of me. This would work for any size screen. Most people have normal size screens. I'm looking at a vertical 32 inch screen. So it's quite tall. Wow. And, um, and I, uh, and just cause it's the way my eyes work and the way this layout is for me. And I'm basically there are uh, eight screens in this whole studio, essentially. I mean, it's, a, it's I was just... going to say, I can see two behind you and I'm, uh, I'm doing the mental math about how there's, many you must four, have. <laughs> and then there's four more in front of me. It's um yeah, I'm folks for, because you can't hear me turning the camera. I'm turning the camera. So yeah. Jason can see this. Um, but, yeah. uh, that's fantastic. I have I have three, and my wife thinks that that's excessive. Oh no, you and can so never have I'm enough. Like, it's like well, guitars; you can never have too many, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> but but so in front of me are a bunch of screens, and so when we do Zoom, the age old problem with zoom is that your camera is dangling someplace on top of your screen either right. built in or a webcam and yeah. your people are somewhere else on the screen and you yep. actually would like to make eye contact and especially if you're doing pre-record videos and things as we all do sure. all of these things you know you have to and so for the longest time uh, much of the pandemic was spent, you know, looking one way right into the camera to make eye contact with people, but then trying to see what the heck is going on on the screen, you know, somewhere yeah, else right. where the people actually are. And that's, that is a learned skill set. And um, I think I did it reasonably well, but it was a pain in the patootie. So I then I discovered something, and this is not an ad, but it sounds like it. It's called a Plexicam, P-L-E-X-I-C-A-M. It is great. I have one with an extender. They sell extenders for it too. It's basically a, a piece of plexiglass that has a little shelf on it. It's so simple. It hooks onto the top of your screen, whatever size screen you have. And then you place your webcam right wherever, and you can put it up, down, vertical, side to side, move it across the screen. You can place it anywhere you want and then move your window with the people um, so that literally, Jason, your face is right next to the um, the camera. So I'm looking into the camera and I'm seeing you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> that is great. That's wonderful. Yeah. So um, so that's one thing that has been a game changer for me is the Plexicam. The other thing 
is, and I am lifting up a mug. It's a USB mug. Now, I'm, and a number of people probably have them at this point, but this is an it's Ember. It's a USB mug. USB mug. And it's an Ember USB mug. And I have a, two or three of them and they are fabulous. And I basically, I'll cry in the morning if I haven't charged my mug for my coffee. <laughs> I'll, I'll start weeping pathetically. Oh, I didn't put it on the charger. It is such a great thing because I am a slow sipper. Some people gulp their coffee down and that's that. I am. Yeah. I will nurse a cup of coffee uh, for a very long time, like an hour and a half. And interestingly, that's how long this thing will keep your coffee, coffee or tea or anything warm for about 90 minutes. It's amazing. Wow. So I have two of them uh, here in the studio. One and is that way when I'm done with the coffee, I can have another one for my coffee later or tea later <laughs> in the afternoon or something. I'm a very well hydrated composer. You have and to be. I, you do have to be. It's part of the, it's part of the, you know, the maintenance routine. Correct. Um, so those are two things that are life-changing, neither of which is musical. Everybody thinks, you know, with all the gizmos I have, you'd think yeah. I would be talking about synths or something or computers. But Mine isn't either. Mine's not What's musical. yours? Vertical mouse. <gasps> vertical mouse? Look at vertical that. Vertical mouse. Changed I've my never, life. I haven't seen that. Ooh. It's wonderful. It gives I, you a very good I love it. Just your hand sits in a very natural wow. position. And... Um, yeah, I used to have incredible, you know, like discomfort in my wrist and my fingers from all the hours of, you know, manipulating the mounts. No, wow. it, it sits very naturally. I love it. That I got is a, great. Got it's almost year. like a handshake. It looks like you're yeah, very your similar sideways, right? Yep. It's a little, it's a little weird to get used to because now you're clicking, you know, right. sideways basically. But yeah. What was, are you scrolling with? Your thumb on top? There's there's a scroller, you know, yeah. right where it would be. It's basically oh, just like that. they've taken the top of the mouse and turned it on wow. its side, essentially. It's so it's really ergonomic. Yeah, very early. And it's left hand or right hand probably too. I don't know. I that's a good question. I have That's a, very cool. Who I makes have a it? Logitech model. This one's a Logitech. Yeah. Um, there were several. Um, this one was just the highly recommended one. So oh, uh, wow. Logitech is not a sponsor of the show, but anybody's <laughs> listening Cam, and would uh, like to and be. Ember and Logitech um, are not sponsors yet, but if you'd like to be, you can drop Jason, me a message. Money. <laughs> We'll be we'll be happy Please to mention money you to Jason every week. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. You know what? It, it it really is. It's the really simple things uh, like that that yeah. I think make a huge difference in your studio. Exactly. And it's usually not something uh, musical. It's almost no. never anything musical. I I don't think. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: Do you ever experience writer's block? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, not only the block, the entire neighborhood. I mean, really, it's the, <laughs> it's the whole the whole zip code, writer's zip code. So how do you how do you deal with that when you get when you get blocked uh, in the middle of? I of trust creating? in I trust in my muses. This is something much easier to do the older you get and the more music you've written on deadline than it is if you're 17 year old, years old and just starting out. You know, so for those of you who are students, it's you know I always say that um, composing is a faith based business because oh, you have to have it? faith yeah. in yourself. You have yeah. to have faith that you will come up with the right idea, with an idea that's good enough to pursue, even if it doesn't come up immediately or even much less than immediately. I mean, it, sometimes it takes us many, many starts to get uh, to get something, you know, that's worth hanging on to. You know, if it's not going to hold our interest, we can't expect for it to hold the audience's or the musician's interest. So uh, sometimes things happen quickly. Sometimes they don't. And the writer's block thing, 
is very real. And again, I, I don't think that anybody's a real artist <laughs> unless they are blocked, you know, and yeah. neighborhooded or zip coded, you know, that's just, <laughs> it's just how it is. And, and I think the way to deal with it is, you know, of course you, you, you stare at the work for a while until you realize it's just not going to happen. Um, and then there are two things that I do. One, I will bribe my muses if they want, you know, a glass of Pinot Noir, or if they want some dark chocolate, great. They, I, I will bribe them. But the other thing that's very imp- important to do is to be able to walk away and and do anything, whether it's brush your teeth, brush the cat, vacuum the cat, vacuum the house, whatever the thing needs to be done that has nothing yeah. to do with what you're doing. Take a walk, whatever you want to do. Get away from the problem because I am a firm believer. I think we all know this, that uh, the the um, the work is really getting done in the self in the subconscious. That's always when the work is done. Right. And it's being done when you are doing ridiculous things that have nothing to do with the work and you come back after a couple hours um and and you are refreshed and your muses have somehow gotten a foothold often into a start for something uh, another thing i love to do is i love to play um certain games on my phone i find that extremely relaxing and um little mind games and stuff Many of them are word games. One of the games that uh, a band director, Aris Golden, turned me on to, she doesn't even know it, uh, but she mentioned this on Facebook years ago, and I got hooked on this thing called Two Dots. Oh, my gosh. I'm up to almost level 3,000 now. I I play Two Dots. You play Two Dots? Yeah, it's it's, it's It's beautifully mindless, and I love it. It's it's so great, isn't it? And it's artistically rewarding because it's just gorgeously designed. Uh, So, yeah, folks, check out Two Dots. Also Um, not a sponsor of the show, but you can be. <laughs> you could be. Operators are standing by. <laughs> yes. Once we have a sponsor, we can pay for operators. But there you go. Some, and like everybody, somebody standing I love by. I love Wordle. I love the the New York Times games. You know, and the crossword oh, yeah. Wordle, Wordle and the um uh, other one. Uh, what spelling bee? I love spelling. Oh, sure. I do spelling bee every day. To I have to get to genius every time, and and then I can put it down. Occasionally, occasionally I get queen bee. Um, but I make I make myself get to genius every time. For those of you who play the game, I'm not being unhumble. I'm talking about a level. <laughs> I am not a genius. I, I'm talking about the genius level. Alex the genius. <laughs> Alex genius. Here. You see, it's just because my ego is so small, I need to see the word genius. <laughs> genius before going to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the only way I'm going to see it. <laughs> and they oh, know funny. that. They play with, they toy with us. They absolutely do. It's, it's yeah. all, you know, um, it's all scientific. It's all psychological. <laughs> they've, they've, they've trained us. They've rewired our brains. Right. To, it's that dopamine hit. They you know? yeah, have, have Mason, to have you're it. a genius. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay. I guess I'll go right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, um, what, what are some of the things that you, what are your non-music hobbies? What do you like to do in your spare time? Do you have any spare time? I don't have any spare time. But you, if, one makes spare time, right? If there you is had no some. Spare time. Yeah. What, there what, there what, is what never like a moment when there isn't a ton of fun stuff to do uh, that is uh, work-related. But um, I, in the warmer weather, which we're finally getting into here on San Juan Island, I really love kayaking. Uh, I love being just out on the water and nose to beak with all the creatures and nose to whiskers with the sea lions and and uh, you know, nose to dorsal fin if I'm lucky enough to have an orca nearby. Right um, now, for people that don't know, you live like right on the water. I do. I live right on the water. It's like up, like what, Washington State, right? Yep, Washington State. We're really right off the coast of British Columbia and Washington State, closer to British Columbia. But it is we're in Washington State technically, and we have. You're this always. Stand- 
posting pictures like, yep. oh, I was looking out my window and That's there's right. a eagle or something. Yep. Or, I don't know if it's they're amazing. eagles. It's but... amazing. I mean, I'm like, I'm behind glass. I'm the zoo exhibit and all the wildlife <laughs> is in front of me all the time. And and I keep my camera very close at hand and I'm constantly snapping uh, mostly very average <laughs> and slightly blurry pictures of wildlife. But once in a while, I'll get a good one. Um, but it's it's incredible to to live where there's many more animals than people. Yeah. And we have no bridge up here. So it is very remote. It takes me two days to get you know, anywhere I fly, I, I do a lot of residencies these days and, you know, fly to places and conferences and all that. But it's, it is a bit of a chore getting off the island. But so what do you do? You got to, you got to kayak to civilization? Yeah, I think I have to kayak to SeaTac. <laughs> I'm a little damp when I get into, onto the plane. People right? look at me funny. I smell like kelp. You know, there's like <laughs> jellyfish are clinging onto me as I settle into the seat. You know, you know, the oh. nasty looks you get when you take too much time to put your luggage up in the bin. Yeah, you know, well, imagine yep. the nasty looks you get when you've got sea creatures, you know, clinging to you in the middle of the aisle and you're dripping and you're just and you got it and your mud boots are muddy. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I make a scene. Yep. There's another country song right there. That's the there second, you go. <laughs> second or the third one. I think we could have. <laughs> have, have written tonight maybe i should start a, a country music song uh, tally for each i like that or like, you'll listen like to this recording and you'll say oh yeah idea idea mm. idea that's right i bequeath you all the good ideas but yeah i love doing i love being outside in nature because i am inside an awful lot doing my work and um uh although i mean there's this big deck right in front of me i feel like i'm outside but i am technically inside and uh uh, my friends and I on the island, we there's a, a good you know group of us that we just love spontaneously all the time uh, taking you know nature walks and and uh, picnics and all that um, in a million gorgeous places in this remote remote area. I mean it's it's magical living here and we we really do take full advantage of it. Um, we take wonderful walks whether it's on the cliffs or the shoreline or in the woods. Uh, we have everything on the island and it's um, it's it's magical. Oh, so yeah. those are my favorite things great. to do is, you know, and I think a lot of music comes from that. You know, the muses are mm. working on the problems when you're just giggling with your friends and turning up rocks and looking at funny things underneath them. And, you know, I love that. Well, um, what what are you working on right now? You got any current projects? Uh, what's what's in the in the till at the moment? Yeah. Uh, right now, at this very minute, what is on my screen uh, that nobody can see is an electroacoustic solo piano piece for a commission that I'm going to deliver shortly. And um, it's not it's it's not a huge piece, but it's um, but it's fun to do. And then after that, I've got another electroacoustic band piece uh, that I'll start in probably in the summer to do that. And I just delivered a piece for electroacoustic piece for tuba and euphonium ensemble. Oh, nice. Uh, that's going to premiere at iTech. I'm going to go to iTech for the first time in Very late May. Very cool. And yeah. uh, and that was a commission from Matt Hightower and the University of Kentucky's uh, tuba euph euphonium ensemble, nice. and that was really really fun. Oh, I bet. Uh, so I just I, that's hot off the presses. I'm really looking forward to hearing that because I well, I'm hoping we're going to make the room rumble. I mean, just imagine <laughs> electroacoustic and those instruments. It's really fun. And I actually I'm looking forward to doing more such pieces. I love tuba and euphonium. I really do. I've got pieces for each of the instruments you know, separately and in other combinations of chamber music and obviously in all the wind band stuff. But I really love these little ensembles. Well, um, we need to do 10 questions here at the end. Uh -oh. But before we do that, before we do 10 questions, tell everybody at home, uh, where can they find you out in the world, um, on the web, on the socials? Uh, right. how, can they, how can they find Alex Shapiro? You can find me most readily, uh, alexshapiro.org, O-R-G, folks. 
O-R-G. <laughs> Go to that one. AlexShapiro.org. Uh, there is far more stuff than you'll ever want to experience on that website. I program all of it. And I shouldn't even admit to that at this point. Um, and then I'm also, I, I do uh, fair, lurk on Facebook a lot. And I've been I've been bad about posting more often, but I need to, I've just been so busy writing a lot of stuff, but um, I will be posting more. But if you want to go onto Facebook, I think pretty much everything I post is um, public and as opposed to, you know, protected because my attitude about the net, and I recommend this to everybody, is anytime you hit send on anything, just assume everybody in the world is going to see it. There's no such thing as yeah. privacy on the net, right? right? right. So right. just post all, everything you want to post, go for it, but just make sure you want everybody in the world to see it. Uh, so everything is public. And so if you want to see pictures of the wildlife on San Juan Island and the view out my studio and all this, um, please go to my Facebook page, which is just me. There is a, a million Alex Shapiro's on Facebook, but I'm the only one that breeds pythons. He used to breed pythons and has a leopard gecko. <laughs> In addition to three cats. So there's country song number six. There, thank you so much. I, you know, it's just coming out today. This is going to be tough to beat. Six I, country music ideas. All your, other guests, on all the your one... other guests are going to have to do this. You know? Yeah. Everybody else is going to be measured against this. Six That's is a right. pretty high bar to set. <laughs> mm. Okay. So, yeah. So Facebook and, um, uh, and uh, my website, um, I I am pretty much protesting Twitter. I am still technically on it, but I don't post there for all the reasons that we can imagine. And um, and I should be doing Instagram, but I I there, I just don't have the time to, you know, do Facebook and Instagram and all this. I should figure out how to do this. I feel like an old lady. But I've uh, gotten to really like the Instagram because no. uh, you can put the, the the photo out there, and and no one expects you to talk that much. Well, exactly. And I think my problem, Jason, what thwarts me is I'm so damn loquacious. You can't shut me up. And so I have a very hard time just posting something without saying something about it, you know? Sure. And then yeah. it's like anathema to me. So I, um, I, I think that's probably what's kept me away is the brevity, which I think there are a lot of people who wish I were a lot more brief. <laughs> so they would be, they're saying, please, Alex, get yourself on Insta and forget about all this other stuff. I used to have a blog, which is also archived and you can go to it. Um, uh, it has some, some fun things on it. Notes from the kelp and that's notes from the kelp.com or you can find it through my website. Too. I remember that reading blog. some of those. Yeah. I, I had when, it back when we years. met. That's right. 2006 to 2016. And, um, and I posted very regularly on it and a lot of, a lot of nature pics and, and stuff like that. And, interesting observations and boring observations i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> all right Very well boring. it's time for 10 questions with alex shapiro alex these 10 questions are uh, they're not all ridiculous but they are all inconsequential <laughs> <laughs> Isn't for <it> sure <laughs> for sure they are inconsequential but um i thought it would be a fun way to end each one of these conversations and ask everybody the same 10 questions and just see what they say. And so uh, we'll just, we'll just see how it goes. It's always a fun adventure. We'll see how many country songs we get out of just this segment. Oh boy. Here we go. And, and, and uh, just remember, we can always edit this out. If it we can always go. edit it out. We can always edit it out. Okay. Alex Shapiro, uh, favorite food. Ooh, a uh, long list. I really love to eat. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, God, I love pasta, but I mean, who doesn't love pasta, really? Pasta's a winner. Yeah, pasta's that's a, a winner. Yeah, that's a safe. Not choice. interesting enough for a country song, though. So no, question number two. Mm, we gotta do better. That's yeah. not country. Uh, favorite place to vacation? Hawaii. I do oh. love all the islands. I love Hawaii. 
See, this is the one that I thought was going to be hard because you essentially live in a vacation spot. I do. Well, I was going to say that, but then I thought I'd sound really obnoxious. So I thought I that your like, favorite <laughs> vacation spot would be like Kansas. It is. Dan and I say all the time, we say, we say, no, like why it's amazing. We even leave to go on vacation once in a while anywhere, because this is a place to which many, many people flock and spend a lot of money to get here. Yeah. And we live here, which is incredible. I've lived here 16 years now, 16 wow. years. Yeah. That's amazing. But, um, but you know what, take, what gets me off the Island is two, basically two things for vacation, warm water uh, in which you can snorkel. And yep. if you and you can get off your kayak and into the water and swim because our water year round here in the islands is 48 degrees. That is not swimmable. That That's is cold. Very cold. That's hypothermic. Yeah. And uh, 15 minutes in this water and you're toast. Not quite mm. the opposite. Actually, you're an ice cube and you're dead. Well, uh, see, your brain stops ironic. working. That's ironic what yeah. you said there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's so not Hawaii, quite a country song, but so yeah. Okay, Hawaii. I I, yeah. I dig that. Uh, do you have a favorite color? Uh, everybody loves various kinds of blue. I think my favorite blue is sort of a, a periwinkle or cobalt blue. Those are different blues, but they are periwinkle or cobalt. Both are intense in their own way. They're kind I of love that. shimmery electric blues. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, this, this one's really important. Uh, Disney world. Is it the happiest place on earth or do you really need to get like every person on planet earth away from you as far as possible? Uh, I'm the latter, definitely. Uh, or let's just say I have to have several martinis before walking through it. <laughs> you, know, let's, you just drug me and I'll have a good time. I actually love rides. I, I love rides and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm not a big fan of crowds. I'm not a big fan of crowds with screaming children. I'm not a big fan these days of crowds with screaming germy children. Ooh. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, like kids are germy, right? Everybody's yeah. germy. That's a bad comment. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I have been to certainly well Disneyland. I've never been to Disney World actually. I've only been to Disneyland because I was in LA for 24 years, oh, and sure. I always had a good time when I was there. But enough is enough. I mean, it's there's a lot more space at the Disney World, but there's also a lot more people. So I yeah. don't know that it's less. Uh, it's less yeah. annoying. I, I'm the same as you. I, I like the rides. I don't like the crowds. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay. Who would win in a boxing match? You got to really think about this because you're okay. going to have to you're going to have to defend your your answer. Who would win in a boxing match between Frank Tichelli and John Mackey? I knew you were going to say Mackey. Um, John, because he's shorter and fast. I mean, what can I say? He runs. I don't know. Frank runs. Maybe Frank, mm. if you're listening, maybe you do run and you you get to say, I run, damn it. I run. I'm in excellent shape. But John, you know, posts his pictures of running. Sure. So I'm I'm just figuring that, you know, a lot of boxing is is the uh, ducking out of the way and right. being really fast and being able to hit when, when your opponent isn't expecting it. And so my money's on John. Okay, for that one. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, right. Frank. I think you're awesome too. But you know, I All right. let's let's give it to John. Okay. <laughs> I, I, hey, I I think your justification is sound. Um, all right. They're when both you um, punch me out after this. <laughs> maybe. Maybe all of a sudden that you're going to see a, there's going to be a kayak pop up on the radar. It's going to be exactly. going to be Frank coming to get you. I'll show you who can box. I'll show you, lady. Yep. yep Put an yep. electric track on this. That's right. That's what it's going to be. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, when you go to bed, socks on or socks off? Oh, God, everything off. <laughs> I can't. Who wears clothes to bed? I mean, really, don't wear clothes to bed, folks. That's what the covers are for, right? I go, I go to, to bed everything fully breathe. dressed so that I'm ready for the morning. What? That you have a closet full of clothes. And are, you, save, are you expecting to have to flee the house at two in the morning? You, know, in the you never the know. You never know. This is Texas. You never know. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, and I figure I've, I save a good ninety or or a hundred seconds by doing that in the morning. There you go. You're all, so you're ready to go. I can sleep a little bit later, so I, I I get that. Okay. Dan and I always make fun of the people on TV shows because they're almost always, unless it's a that oh even on the R-rated things, the the women have their beautiful brassieres on and the men have t-shirts on and this and they're going to bed and they're supposed to be having these very romantic you know interactions and it's like really you got to be kidding me why are they wearing all these clothes we always joke about it. So anyway, we're, we are, we are no clothes. It's amazing. I have clothes on now. Let me tell you. <laughs> this is a, Hey, this is a family show, Alex. Hey, but you know what? Family it's a show. podcast, Jason, we could be telling everybody we're, we're nude right now and no one would know it's a nude podcast. We I'm are sure not. People have, done... <laughs> people have done nude podcasts before. It's all in the imagination, right? I am uh... Listen, at my age. Uh, believe me, nobody wants a nude podcast for, or, or a webcast from me. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that, with that, um, with that area of podcasting. I'm, I'm oh, I bet there is such a thing. I like the TV rewatch podcast. That's what I, uh, that's what I get into more than anything. I'm pretty sure they, I'm pretty sure they do it clothed. Um, okay. Um, all right. How about this? If you could do any other job other than what you do right now, what do you think it would be? Oh, I'd probably be a marine biologist. I love the sea. I love the sea creatures. I love protecting them and finding ways to raise awareness about how to protect them and make people care about them, all the things we can't see under the sea. So yeah, I'd probably do that. Um, it's uh, one of my, I'm on a lot of boards and committees and what have you, but one of the ones I've been on a lot, very long time since I moved to the island is the uh, Friday Harbor Labs Advancement Board. Uh, and the Friday Harbor Laboratories are one of the uh, world's leading marine research uh, areas in, in in the whole world it's an offshoot it's under the aegis of uh, university of washington and mm -hmm. the college mm -hmm. of the environment and it's an amazing place so um that makes sense based know. on where you live and it's right around I the mean, corner i didn't you wouldn't even have to move you wouldn't even have to live yeah, anywhere but different. i wouldn't even have to move i could just you know just right. go right down the shoreline here yeah yeah just some yeah. university could give you an email address and you just you just walk out on the deck like there i'm here know. to do my research <laughs> exactly i love that um, do you have a favorite time of day? Yes, uh, very late at night. I am an I'm a vampire. I'm a late night person. I am absolutely not a morning person. Yeah. This morning I had to get up very very early for a music publishers association board meeting. I mean, it was like for me doing a Zoom at eight in the morning. Um, I mean, it was eleven o'clock New York time, and um, but it was it was it's painful. I mean, to have to you know put sentences together and look human. Um, I am a vampire, so anything after midnight is is really good. Anything after dinner is basically good, and we eat. We tend to eat pretty late, European style here. Yeah. But um, I do a lot of my writing late at night. Um, so, especially not so much when I'm just laying out a piece, but the last week or two when you're really pushing the baby out and getting yeah, the, yeah. You know, getting it ready to deliver. I I really like the the solace and the silence right. of the nighttime. Plus, oh, yeah. there are no distractions because I've got this wall of windows in front of me. The whole house is glass in the front, and and so during the day. Like as I'm looking at you, I'm seeing all these birds and eagles are going by and hummingbirds are flitting. And, you know, there's a sea lion going by right now and three otters over there. I mean, there's a lot of distraction. And at night, wow. of course, you can't see anything out the yeah. window. So yeah. it's, I mean, there's that. You know? In a way, isn't that terrifying? Aren't you always worried like, oh, my God, is an octopus coming up on the on the deck or something like that? Or like, 
I going to wake up and there's going to be like something's going to have broken in and like. Actually, the funniest thing is the gulls will will drop. Basically, I call it sushi delivery on the deck. I, I, I'll i look out and there's like sea urchins on the deck or crab on the deck. You know, like they they just dropped their lunch and or mussels or clams. And, wow. and there it is. It's it's very funny. It's it's um, our version of uh, of um, you know grocery <laughs> delivery. <laughs> that's like your DoorDash right there. It, that's what I was looking for. DoorDash. I couldn't remember what it was called. DoorDash. Also, not a sponsor, but anybody from DoorDash, <laughs> you know, um, go ahead and DoorDash. go ahead and reach out. I'm happy to talk about you every week. Um, <laughs> do you have uh, do you have something like a movie or a TV show or anything or a book or anything that you you really like that most people don't like? Oh, God. Well, I can start to when I was a geeky kid. I was the kid. I'll give you two examples. When everybody else was into um, Star Trek, I was into Lost in Space. Okay. Oh, now, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Loved, I loved that growing up. And um, and when everybody else was into the Brady Bunch, same time frame, I was into the Partridge family. I think I Ooh. wanted Susan mm. Day or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, 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 you know, sad. But at any rate, that I feel very, like the Partridge family was popular, though. That, that they were, I like guess a... they were popular, but at all, at least in my school, it seemed like all the other, at least the cool kids were watching the Brady Bunch. And I, I never watched that one for some reason. But mm, uh, yeah, but uh, but these I'll tell you, you know, this is an old one, but it just comes to mind because getting back to music, folks. Um, my friend Jeff Beal did the music for House of Cards and the show and the music. Oh, my God, it is so broody and beautiful. Um, that is a, a real winner. And I, I recommend it. It got got a little weird at the last season or two, but but it yeah. is a terrific show. Um, it really is. And the acting is superb and the writing and everything and um, everything about it. And so I recommend House of Cards, which is old now. Obviously, it's been yeah, it's been gone for a long and time, but. It's worth seeing. If you and you're seen. right. The, the music is uh, is wonderful. It's the really The music well is done. especially good. Yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah. good. It's very, very good. Okay. Last question. You, we got to make this a good one. Last question. Yeah. What is a lie that you could tell about yourself that people who know you would believe? Oh, wow. That's like a double negative. I have to think about that. Yeah. It's got to be believable. Things that are true about me that I could tell people and people wouldn't believe. Right. Um, this is a lie about me that uh, people would believe yeah that ha it has to be believable um well i think anybody who knows me would think that i might have shaved my head at one point because i'm just that kind of wild gal and but they no? might think but no i've never shaved my head closest wow. i came was it i i was so angry as a little kid at my mother when i was in day camp i must have been four five years old and she gave me one of the i had long hair like i do now and she made me get one of these bowl haircuts a little short pixie cut i guess they called it in the 60s yeah this yeah. would have been in you know 66 or something right oh my god i hated that so much i think i think maybe i've had long hair my whole life just out of panic and rebellion and yeah. damage there you sure. know just mental agony ever since i was five having a pixie cut <laughs> So, so yeah, I've never shaved my head. <laughs> See, you know, it's not just fun and educational. This is therapy, folks, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can't be too educational. We don't want to. It can't be. We well, with me on the show, that, it, so. it's guaranteed not to be. Trust me. <laughs> well, Alex Shapiro, you are a national treasure and uh, appreciate you so much taking the time to talk with us. I hope, hope you enjoyed our chat. I enjoyed our chat. Um, if the people at home enjoyed the chat, that's great, but I care that's less about them. That's just a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I'm never going to meet most of them, so it's really fine. Um, <laughs> listen to the next episode or not. Whatevs. 
Um, Alex, any parting words? Any uh, any words of wisdom? Anything you'd like? Everybody to, uh... should listen to your other podcasts. That's my parting words because oh. you're a delightful host and you are a man of many talents and many interests. And so everybody should uh, should tune in for all all future and past episodes. There you go. I'm going to check out your sci-fi one because I haven't. Uh oh! Spoiler Uh-oh. alert. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you can binge the the first two seasons anywhere that uh, anywhere podcasts are streaming, um, and listen free because it also has no sponsors. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme here. I, you know, I see this as basically here. it's not a cry for help. It's a it's an announcement <laughs> of opportunity. That's what this is. There's a lot of sponsorship opportunity and country songwriting opportunity if you all play your cards right. So, is it like a reverse call for scores when you're not yes. interested in music, you just want That's money. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> really, yeah, don't yeah. send us the scores. Just send Jason your money. Everybody, send the twenty bucks. It's the lottery <laughs> of uh, of. <laughs> don't even get me started on calls for scores and competitions. That's a whole. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. I didn't bring that. that up. I I shouldn't have brought that up. That's. Oh, a, I know. I've written a, a whole article subject. about it. Let's... Folks, do not pay money to enter competitions. That's all I'm going to say. And if you want to read an article I wrote about it called "Dissing the Competition for New Music Box" a few years ago, look it up. And it's on my website. As, as soon as I have to take my, I can give. my name off of the score because it can't be any identifying information, I'm like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm not really. going through that much trouble. Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want to listen to it or you don't. Exactly. And, he, and it really takes the wind out of the sails for anybody who makes the argument that, well, I know it's 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, whatever, but at least, you know, I'm getting my music in front of these anonymous judges. And so, okay, if you're, if the score is anonymous, you are not getting your music in front no. of them. They're just, it's just a bunch of notes. They're That's not right. Gonna know who wrote it. That's you probably have more luck just standing on the corner, handing it out to people as they walk Absolutely. by, like, everybody check this out. Absolutely. I got a string yeah. trio for you. It's pretty great. Yep. Well, Alex, thanks so much. I appreciate the time. It's always Thank great to you, chat. Jason. Hopefully we You're will fun. run into each other in yeah, a, ouch, in a lobby. All right. Oh, God, that, that will hurt. Or we'll start our own boxing match and people can place bets. Maybe. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll save that for season two. Who would win between go. the guest and me if we were doing a boxing match? We'll save that one for for season two of the of the composer chat. So anyway. Well, hopefully, hopefully I'll see you at Midwest later this I will, year. I will be there. Great. I will be there. I'm planning on being there. People so. apparently keep playing my music, so I keep going. It's a strange, uh, it's a strange thing. And I go even though they don't play my music. I still go. <laughs> so. Right? Well, because food, you gotta, you gotta because enjoy the food, food and drinks and companionship, right. friends, camaraderie, all that. Yep. Where's your, where's your favorite place to eat in Chicago when you're there for Midwest? Oh wow. Um. Oh, that's. Uh, oh yes, I know the place, and I'm gonna blank on the name. Uh, Mercado, Mercado is the tapas place across the street from the Hilton. Um. And, oh, uh, I know the place Mercado. you're talking about. You know the place. A lot of people know the place. Yeah, it's terrific. Um, it's it's in the Blackstone Hotel, and I want to say Mercados, but it's been a couple of years because I wasn't able to be there this past couple of years. Um, you skipped out mean? both the Alex. Oh no, I guess I got one Alex at. at you got one Alex. Sure. Alex Gardner was there, right? Alex yeah. Gardner was there. Who I adore. Yeah, yeah. I miss yours. I like mine's the, the uh, mine's the Eleven City Diner. That's my jam. Really? Yeah, it's on Wabash. I have not been there. It's, uh, it's amazing. I I I go at least twice a convention. Ooh, it's a it's a multiple out. stop place <laughs> wow okay i've got to check that out Maybe also not a sponsor it. but you know <laughs> also not a sponsor yet <laughs> also not a sponsor yet <laughs> not a sponsor yet <laughs> all right alex okay. um always great to talk we'll see you soon take <laughs> yeah. care take care 
Composer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama, anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Listen free. Seasons 1 through 3 are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.